Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Really happy today to have a return engagement. Tony Wan from Reach Capital is back on the show again. Tony, welcome to Trending in Education. Thanks, Michael. Happy to be back for a second round. Exactly. You know, it's been known to be habit forming. You do qualify for a refrigerator magnet with your third appearance. For this engagement, we wanted to talk about ASU GSV, which is an ed tech education conference that's been going on for many years. It's something you covered when you were at EdSurge. It's now something that, you know, Reach Capital has been very much focused on over the years. So we're going to get some of your takes on that. You're also someone who generously founded uh, a spreadsheet that is now an Airtable, uh, a way of understanding the conference scene for folks who care about education and what's going on in that universe. And then you may even get a couple of sizzling takes on Web3 and other phenomena out there in the world around us. Does that sound like a fair reckoning of what we described for today's episode? It sounds like it. You know, the thing they say about plans is plans are useless, but planning is invaluable. So it sounds like a start. We'll see where we end up from there. Love that you called me a founder of a spreadsheet. I mean, that's, uh, yeah. I think that's a great kind of qualification for being a founder. Yeah. Yeah. By this point, if people don't have founder on their LinkedIn, they're just not creative about their professional life is the way yes. I think about it. But yeah, you're someone who I, I think last we taught, you were just starting at Reach Capital, you were getting their content program organized and your background prior to that was educational press, educational media, founder. Journalism. Journalism. There you go. Journalism. At EdSurge. At EdSurge, exactly. And that was in addition to the spreadsheet, you were in on the the founding of EdSurge uh, as well. Yeah, starting from a newsletter and from there, then on building a newsroom, Mm -hmm. uh, building a news team out of that. And... You know, that team is still covering a lot of what's happening in the tech space today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that happens in the ed tech space is people get together at conferences, frequently IRL, in real life. They get together. Yep. They congregate mm-hmm. at hotel lobby bars and, and conference rooms and, you know, even outdoor gala events, who knows? And yes, the, it's how human society has evolved. Exactly. The world of conferencing in the <laughs> 21st century. One of the conferences that has become a fixture for folks who are trying to understand, uh, you know, ed tech venture space, ed tech capital markets, what are people investing in? Whereas the buzz has been the ASU GSB conference, which was held at the beginning of April in San Diego. I was thinking about going, I, I decided not to go this year, but it's, it is on my radar. I have been in the past and it, it was really a, a great experience when I was out there. You're someone who's now been at this conference in a couple different ways. And then also early April of 2022 is the first time we could get closer to what's now the old school model of a conference like this. You wrote up your impressions, but I'd love to get your response now. Like, what was it like? What were you going there to get out of it? What was your experience like? ASUGSB has always been kind of the premier conference for the ed tech industry. It is the brainchild of the GSB team and their, you know, very active investors in the ed tech space and beyond. And so, you know, for over a decade, this conference has grown 
Uh, over the years, it started as a small gathering of a few hundred people in Arizona, affiliated at ASU. That's, you know, where the name comes from. And now, yeah, it's kind of a, a beast of its own in a good way in terms of attracting these days, not just the capital investments and the banker side of the industry, but increasingly also a lot of the um, thought leaders, the educators, even other people, you know, in this community who we hope that this capital will help improve the lives and opportunities for the, the students, the learners, the teachers. So, yeah, I mean, this year, if there were a headline, it would be that, you know, the the boys are back in town, the boys and gals are back in town, the money's back in town. You know, it, it was in terms of energy, it just it reminded me of everything that was happening, you know, in 2019 or 2018 for uh, the pandemic in terms of just uh, the flurry of activity, you know, all the concurrent sessions going on. There's almost like a music festival feel to it where there's like five stages and you got to pick and choose between one and people are bustling, hustling between, you know, one session and one meeting uh, to the next. And yeah. I would say, you know, that's the headline, right? Yeah. I think in the past, you know, sometimes there'd be some big news or big deals that were saved to be announced on stage as a really splashy way to get news out. Don't think there was any of that nature this year, but I just think that to see, you know, people coming back in person and having these serendipitous conversations in, in hallways or, or at happy hours, I think that's what this year was about, at least, you know, from my perspective. Makes sense. Just to clarify, can you catch folks up a little bit in terms of who you're representing and what Reach was looking to accomplish? Yeah, brief introduction. Reach Capital is a early stage investor in education and future of work companies. And we've been investing in EdTech since Reach started in 2015. But even before that, our origins trace us back to a seed fund that was affiliated with a nonprofit called New Schools Venture Fund. So we've been investing in EdTech for, I would say, over a decade. Uh, mm -hmm. I think at least our founding team partners have been. And so it's a conference where you go to kind of hear about the latest trends, uh, about what's what's happening. It attracts a lot of startups uh, and, and founders as well. GSB does this uh, co pitch co startup competition called the GSB Cup. And we've had a couple of each portfolio companies that were uh, contestants or yeah. participants in that. One of them won third place, actually, nice. this uh, a company called uh, uh, Clayful. And we also help facilitate and, and moderate conversations too. You know, this year, three of us were on sessions talking about Things from early childhood education to the math skills crisis to this thing called Web3 that, you know, you may have heard of. And so I uh, just helping to, you know, be part of the conversation about what's happening, what's going on, what we see happening, uh, what's coming around the corner. Mm -hmm. And also just to reconnect with a lot of our peers or, or you know, colleagues present and, and past, uh, connect with our portfolio companies. We did a little happy hour there one in the nights and. It was just good to, you know, see a lot of your friends in this space, kind of just in, in, in person. Yeah. Of course, there is the, you know, the more work and opportunistic side of things. You have meetings with people in the industry who you may want to work with or invest in or partner with in some ways. And so this has always been a great venue for that. Mm -hmm. Some people just sit at one table. And just, you know, schedule 15 minutes from, from dusk to dawn, from dawn to dusk, and just take notes very diligently. So, you know, God bless them. I don't know how one can do that. But there's also people with private suites and hosting partner meetings. Yeah. Um, 
all sorts of things. You know, it's always been a, a little bit of a choose your own adventure experience. In the past, as a reporter, I'd be kind of running around trying to get the latest scoop on things, you know, right. try to get the intel on the latest deals coming in. You know, this year in my role now, I'm still doing something similar, but, you know, just meeting interesting entrepreneurs with, with interesting ideas. Right. And your role with Reach is to help communicate to your audience and your investors and the companies you're investing in. Can you just expand on that a little bit? Because I thought that was an interesting wrinkle with your background from EdSurge now moving to the, the fun side. Yeah, so I'm the head of investor content and I oversee our content operations. And that's both internal content, you know, just within ourselves and with our LPs and also some of the public-facing content and thought leadership and research that we produce to just help educate, you know, the broader community. I believe that uh, a smarter community leads to a smarter industry and hopefully leads to smarter capital deployed to ideas that will actually work and make an impact. And in the course of our work, you know, we do a lot of research, we talk to a lot of people and, you know, want to take some of that, take what we can share from that and share it with the public. So yeah. That's what it means as head of investor content. And yeah, it's kind of like building up a little bit of a newsroom habit and process mm -hmm. in a venture capital firm. Our partners do a lot of writing, a lot of memo writing. We've got a pretty strong memo culture, kind of yeah. taking from Amazon's kind of memo culture. I love writing. I think it helps. It forces you to crystallize and articulate your ideas. And so, you know, it's a lot of good stuff that good, good cachet of resources and, 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 and materials that we've amassed over the years. Yeah. And for those of us who are on Twitter and will continue to stay on Twitter. Who knows? Who knows nowadays? This my, I know now. my first are you, interview. Are you with, staying on? I think so. I think so. I don't know until I need yeah. to leave. I don't know where I'll go, but it, but Tony is a really interesting follow where you're not just curating, you know, reach capital content. You're also presenting some of your independent takes on the broader experiences of life that are out there. So, so I would say if folks enjoy this appearance, Check out Tony Wan on Twitter at Tony Wan. It's, it's very easy to remember yeah. as well. So you can get a lot of this type of content there as well as at Reach. And if folks want to find out more at Reach, where should they go? ReachCapital.com is our website. Reach Fund is our Twitter handle. Okay, got it. Got it. If you want more industry specific, you actually want to learn things, you know, I would follow the Reach Fund handle. Got it. If you're into... You know, the occasional shit post, I guess you can follow me, but no, no guarantees that <laughs> you'll derive any value from, from, from following me. Exactly. Although one of the things I did see was you retweeted Frank Catalano, who shared the latest version of the EdTech industry conference. It's now an air table. I mentioned that you, you were someone who got this rolling to begin with, and it's still going strong. Coming out of ASUGSV, I was at South by Southwest EDU. So those are two conferences this year that happened that are in this general space. There's a lot more on the horizon. One of the things I wanted to do as well while we had you today was get some perspective from you on which conferences make sense for which types of audiences. How have you broken this down over the years? Are there any trends you're noticing around the conference scene? Looking forward, we'll share out in the show notes at the Airtable where this is all documented. It's nice. It's sortable. It's good stuff here. But any thoughts broadly on how this came together and, and how folks can make good use of it heading into the rest of the year? 
Yeah. So the origins of the uh, tech conference calendar, it was a side project that we did at EdSurge in the course of our mission to just inform and educate the broader ed tech community compiled this list of events, national events that were happening throughout the course of the year. We used to make a PDF out of it and, you know, make it a nice splashy calendar. When the pandemic hit, you know, all the dates changed because, you know, things got canceled and decided to just, you know, stick with a good and trusty spreadsheet to make it easier to just track the changes that are happening. Of course, the pandemic kind of dealt the blow to the entire, any industry conferences, right? And as a result, a lot of the associations and a lot of the organizations as well, whose lifeblood was, you know, an annual event that attracted a lot of sponsor dollars, a lot of registration dollars. The nonprofit that acquired EdSurge, ISTE, a lot of their activity was their annual conference, right? Yeah. And that took a hit during the pandemic. And, you know, fortunately, you know, we did see some associations and conferences kind of just cancel permanently. It was mm -hmm. uh, fortunately a death now. A lot of it moved virtual. But now, you know, in 2022, at least in the U.S., we kept up this calendar to see what's happening. And suffice to say, there's like almost 130 national ed tech events that we tracked that, are, that were slated to happen this year. And this is a number that I think is comparable to previous years. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, the main difference is that a lot of these conferences are now going virtual. Mm -hmm. Or they have like a hybrid component, which, you know, having attended some of these, it can be a tricky experience to, to try to pull off. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that if ASU GSB and South by Southwest or any indication, I think that there is a yearning and hankering for people to, you know, come together in person to meet, to socialize, you know, for all of the things and sensory delights that, that you don't get from talking over Zoom or some other, you know, internet mediated interactions. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I think the conference's calendar is, you know, Frank Catalano, who is a longtime friend of, of, of Ed Surge and who I've worked with over the years, he is updating that uh, every couple of weeks. That's also his Twitter handle, Frank Catalano. And yeah, you should follow him for, you know, the latest uh, updates to events happening. And anything trend-wise, anything you're noticing just around what is on the horizon for you personally, or any advice for folks who are trying to figure out which conferences to go to or which ones to, to take virtually? I've been struck by how great a lot of the recordings are that are sent out after some of these, but then it becomes more, how do I motivate myself to power through which recorded videos that are available to us? It's a paradox of choice just because there's so much good stuff out there. What about making the decision to actually go to a conference rather than take it oh. online. Or I like to say I JOMO it. I, I embrace the joy of missing out and I rationalize all the reasons why I'm better off not going. But I, I also occasionally choose to go. How do you go through that decision calculus? And do you have any advice for folks who are trying to make those types of decisions? Well, I mean, conferences, you know, it is an investment of, uh, of time and, and of money. And so you, you should go with a purpose in mind. The, audience for this uh, conference calendar are industry people and business people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things we've done is we've tried to highlight in this calendar, you know, what particular set of the market the speakers and programs kind of focuses on, whether it's early childhood, K-12, higher ed, workforce for training, you know, I think that's kind of a more obvious and natural in, in shaping where you want to go to. Some of these conferences are on like a national scale, like ASGSB or South by Southwest, but some of these are uh, more region, attract more regional audiences, right? There, for example, like, you know, Ohio, there's an ed tech conference for, you know, the, the schools and districts there and something similar for the Midwest, you know, mm -hmm. for Nebraska or Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're kind of your business objective or marketing objectives are kind of more regional, mm -hmm. you know, I think 
this, that's another way to kind of inform where you want to go, Yeah, uh, where you want to put your money and time into. And then, you know, some of these also are kind of catered more to the business and the industry side of the, of the community versus some of these are more about like how-to workshops, you know, for teachers and educators, like mm -hmm. how do I use, you know, Nearpod or, or Google to do X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I would say that the tip of this calendar is to try to provide enough information to help you make at least that first level of filter and narrow it down mm -hmm. uh, and provide the links and resources you need to dig deeper and see what the programming is, who your speakers are, and see if it's right, if it may be right for you. Yeah, see what the weather's like, see what baseball teams are in town, whether you have Marriott, Marriott's points to be spent in, in that particular location there's there's plenty of ideas that are out there yeah yeah we have there are plenty of columns there are plenty of columns that you know you can add to this calendar michael yeah <laughs> absolutely so so yeah it's a great resource we'll be sharing that out and then the other thing i was thinking about when you were talking about some of the more interpersonal elements the serendipity the seeing people in person who you hadn't seen before that's until the metaverse and web3 matures tony to the point that we don't have to leave our homes to go to these conferences. The, the other area that we wanted to, to tease a little bit is Web3, which is, I like to say zeitgeisty at least once an episode. Mm -hmm. Web3 is pretty zeitgeisty. It's on the Gartner hype cycle somewhere and maybe peaking. Maybe it's time to check yourself before you wreck yourself, Web3. I know mm. it's something Reach has been looking at because if you are thinking about education and the future of learning, these new technology sets and ecosystems that are emerging are clearly going to have some use to the future of edtech and education. Where are you coming at the world of Web3 from? Do, you, do we need to put our virtual reality glasses on or, or like where, where are we in this universe? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that what you described, the transition from, you know, in-person conferencing to, you know, Oculus and meeting in virtual meeting rooms, it sounds to me like there's a little bit of Web3 that's associated with, you know, Second Life. I don't know yeah. if you yeah. did a lot of Second Life. I remember it. There's <laughs> the element of, you know, when people describe the metaverse, it sounds like Second Life to Second Life. From <laughs> that, it's, you know, trying to make a comeback and... Look, it, it was cool for, for for a hot second. Yeah. Um, but I think people just you know realized that you know at the time the technology couldn't really you know replicate as much of kind of the capabilities and interactions that maybe we're capable of today. But speaking of Web three, I think it's important to like kind of distinguish between Web three and the metaverse a little bit. I think what's exciting the most about Web three is that it can be the next evolution of the internet where the people who participate in conversations and, you know, creating content for it also kind of get a stake or have some ownership of the environments and mm -hmm. the platforms that mm -hmm. they're participating in. So folks like you and folks like me, we create all the content. We put a lot of stuff of value out there on the internet. It's an opportunity to see if people consume that content for us to have more of an ownership mm -hmm. uh, of, you know, how that content is delivered, distributed, and perhaps even, you know, monetized. And I think that's like the big economic mobility piece of Web3 that is, is pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. You may have heard that, you know, there's like people are earning like tokens, you know, these days, a yeah. lot of coins. And mm -hmm. um, sure, you know, some of it, yeah, can seem a little bit like frivolous, but just like the, the idea of currencies, of like having some kind of stake in, in ownership of creating a new web and community. That's what's I think exciting about the, the, the web three space. 
Yeah, it's, it's always interesting to me when you start connecting the dots among all the different things around skills-based credentialing, new market economies, new coins emerging. I've heard, I think it was Ryan Craig was talking about skills coin, which is, you know, the idea that if your skills are federated, you know, or if you're federating other people's skills, that that gives you some currency that then can be spent in new ways. And then that connecting to gamification and, and sort of how we think about how we engage with things like social media, it's easy to lose track of the, the fact that we're living in the future already. Even right before we started this conversation, I was looking at Snap's product demo where Snap was talking about yeah. what they're doing around augmented reality and, and sort of the layering of additional information into what we see or hear. Those technologies are real now and, and also the level to which artificial intelligence more so than any of the other components of Web3 is already in market and is already making an impact, whereas some of these other technologies are just beginning to get into market and beginning to make an impact. The three main areas of Web3 that I've heard discussed are AR, VR, artificial intelligence, and the blockchain, the front end, the application layer, and the underlying sort of data structures and, and, and so forth. First off, is that characterization fair? It's not mine. It's stuff I've, I've read on the internet. So, I, you know, please validate whether there's any validity to what I'm talking about, but assuming there is, what's your take on how those technologies may be applied to educational technology, learning contexts, the, the space that we're focused on? Yeah, you brought up the, the idea of credentialing and kind of where that can, that can go in the future. I think it ties back into kind of a longer running theme or, or objective that we've been trying to evolve in the education space. How do we track and measure and share credentials, you know, beyond the degrees or beyond kind of like the formal traditional way that it's been happening? And so I think on the blockchain, the, the basic and nice thing about it is that it does capture, there's one unified place where you can capture a lot of your activities, what you do, and in ways that can perhaps kind of bypass a lot of the interoperability issues of credentials that we have seen that it has been a challenge in the past. So I think that the blockchain being able to capture every action you complete online as a proof of, you know, what you've done or what you know, or who you know. I think there's a lot of potential there, but I have to kind of stack up and create other opportunities to kind of showcase your, your skills and readiness, you know, for jobs or, or, or for careers, mm -hmm. you know, I think there's that ongoing question of do employers care about degrees? And so, I mean, that pendulum kind of swings back and forth. One of the most tangible ways I see kind of Web3 evolving to make an impact is, is this part about credentialing and being able to track your record and your contributions piece of things. So mm -hmm. it ties into credentials, it ties into like project-based learning. Yeah. And I think that's uh, one of the more, to me, one of the more exciting things about it. Yeah. My colleague, Jamira, uh, has been, you know, looking into this a lot deeper, you know, she may have other elements that she can expound on that, yeah. you know, that she's excited by, but I'm a little bit more of like a near-term visionary or kind of more of a realist. And I think that the ability of the blockchain to capture your skills and demonstrate your skills is really, uh, you know, what, what I'm, what I'm most excited to see. Yeah. Joe Byra's written an article. We're, we're hoping to get her back on trending in education down the road to talk about some of her deeper findings. It's good to be able to riff at a high level, you know, that keeps podcasters employed. And there is a, at least a journalistic element to podcasting. Thank you for reminding me journalism is a word. 
So now looking ahead, the other elements we talked about, any thoughts on emerging companies or trends in the ed tech space? There was a lot of investment in 2021. There was a lot of uh, federal money that was coming in. Any macro trends? You know, there's been a little bit of tightening of the purse strings, at least in terms of market cap. You know, there's been some corrections that have happened. Any broader trends you're noticing? Any thoughts around where EdTech is, is heading? Any broader realizations maybe folks have made around what's happening in this sector? You know, I think the broader macroeconomic kind of plateauing or downturn is being felt across, you know, different industries. It's being felt personally in my own <laughs> portfolio, maybe yours as well. Yeah. You know, I think that there has, in, in, at least uh, the impacts venture capital, you know, I think the pace of investments has certainly dipped from the second half of 2021 mm-hmm. in terms of deal, deal volume and deal, and deal, deal, deal amount. But I think it actually is still kind of roughly on par with Q1 2021. Mm. Right? And so I think that's the interesting thing. Like, like I think like in the second half of uh, 2021, we kind of saw that proverbial hockey stick kind of growth in terms of volume and, and dollars. And it's gone down, but like not to like a crash or a kind of re- recession level, I would say. Right. So, you know, I think investment act pace and activity is still strong. We are still seeing a lot of companies like in our pipelines of new entrepreneurs that are building new things. Also, you know, former you know, entrepreneurs, people we know in this space starting, you know, their next uh, startup or, or, or journey. So I don't think there's any shortage of kind of people building things in the tech space. Mm-hmm. I think that valuations may be a little bit more, you know, they, they may have caught, you know, are coming down to earth and to me and I would dare say to reach, you know, that's a good thing to have realistic valuations where, you know, companies should be at various stages of the growth. Mm-hmm. More broadly, you know, the market pendulum tends to swing between growth at a cost to the realization that you need to make money. And yeah. so I think that, uh, who knew? I think we're kind of coming back to that, you know, hey, is, are you building a sustainable business these days? You know, yeah. your revenues are kind of on track with kind of your projections and your valuations and, and where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think there's a little bit more realism coming back in the investing side. For us at Reach, I think that's great. You know, we don't, generally like to compete just on pure dollars alone, you know, yeah. that's generally just beyond like beyond us, like it's just like not a healthy approach to investing if to compete on dollars, but you compete on, you know, the value that you bring, the networks, the ways that you can help your portfolio or your, your unique knowledge about a market or an industry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's on the investment side, things are slowing down a, a little bit, but I don't think anything that's of like grave, you know, 2008 level concerns. I think that mergers and acquisition, the pace of M&As are still going pretty strong that, mm-hmm. you know, I think that some of the companies uh, that are emerging as market leaders uh, on a global level are looking to, you know, acquire assets to kind of further their ambitions and mm-hmm. accelerate kind of their, their footprints. We just had one of our companies that we invested in just over a year ago, Rhythm, uh, we used a mental health intervention, get acquired by a company called Securely. And so, you know, we've kind of enjoyed that. That's been a nice kind of journey. And so, yeah, M&As are still happening at, at, at a pretty fast clip. You know, at ASUGSV, you know, we've heard a lot of conversations about, you know, people exploring, you know, these kinds of opportunities. So, yeah, yeah, you know, these things are still happening, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the wheel, the wheel is uh, still spinning. Yeah. And then anything new, exciting, I know you did name check Kanye 
uh, Conan O'Brien, and you did let us know you were raised by wolves last time you were on the show. So for folks who were sticking around for more hot takes, incisive, witty repartee from Tony, we're the freeform stage of the conversation. So any, any concluding thoughts? You know, I don't know if I have any entertaining concluding thoughts this time around. Another big part of my past few months has been, you know, the, the birth of our, our, our first child. And so it's been, you know, a nice roller coaster of all the natural human emotions that come with your firstborn kitties. You may actually hear him slapping, you know, the table right now as, yeah. as my wife is feeding him. Um, kind of bringing it back on a more anti-trans level. The thing that does continue to concern us is kind of the continued erosion of the public school system as evidenced by, you know, teachers continuing to leave the system, student enrollments are, are dipping and seeing, you know, how this can recover or if this will, you know, recover or come back, certainly can blame, you know, educators for choosing opportunities that are sustainable to them. Many teachers are mission driven and they do that work because they care, but you know, there's only so much you can sacrifice in terms of your personal and career uh, ambitions and, and needs, right? On the other side of that is that I think we're seeing the emergence of more alternatives apply online school models or hybrid school models. And these are startups that are raising money. They've raised some good amount of capital to try to see if they can serve families who are choosing to take their kids elsewhere. So there are companies like Sora Schools that, that we've looked at at the virtual project-based learning high school. Also programs like Synthesis, which is a very game-based program to help kids learn style, learn through games. And I think just today there was a, uh, another alternative school called Primer that raised like $15 million. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we're seeing kind of another track cement and, 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 and emerge on this scene to serve families who kind of want uh, or looking for something else. You know, one of our portfolio companies out school is also, you know, serving, they're serving both, you know, school districts and kind of the after school homeschooling community as well and trying to bridge the two. And so, you know, our thesis is that, I mean, we, we're really strong believers in the public school system. You know, we believe that ultimately it is where most kids will go to school, but it is what's most accessible, you know, for the majority of families out there. But, you know, it is concerning to see what's happening to the system that it's not like a venture capital or like a startup problem. It is kind of a more fundamental problem of how we support the teachers and the communities. And so, yeah, I'm starting on a little bit dour note, but yeah, no, it's kind good. Of what, yeah. it is kind of what's like on, on the top of my mind these days. As I'm thinking, look at my seven month old, you know, yeah. eating his meal and I'm thinking about, you know, what his like schooling is going, going to be. Mm-hmm. I went to both public and private schools and, you know, I personally would like to have him go to a public school, enjoy the, the diversity of experiences and people that, that I think the public system is kind of good, can be mm-hmm. good at attracting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, congratulations on your, your paternity and, and on your child who's right there. So congratulations to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. And then again, cautious optimism and then some underlying dread is, is sort of the, the, the tone there where like, how do we change the big things is a good question. And how much of that is, who's really responsible for those things? How do those larger sea changes happen is a much deeper conversation, one that we're going to need to continue to pursue, particularly around the, the future of public education. That was a real deep one. So thank you for showing your range. It's not always 
frothy. Sometimes we go deep. Appreciate you coming back on. Tony Wan from Reach Capital, thanks again for joining. Yes. Thank you for having me again, Michael. I look forward to in the third one and my fridge packet. Awesome. Thank you everyone for listening. And uh, hopefully our listeners enjoyed. If you did, please write us a review. Let your friends know what we got going on. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.